Happy New Year from Your Path to Nonprofit Leadership, the weekly podcast that features the very best in career development in the nonprofit sector. I'm your host, Patton McDowell, and in addition to podcasting, I'm a leadership coach, a best-selling author, a speaker, and a mastermind facilitator. Speaking of our mastermind program, we've got two spots left in the spring cohort, so if you are interested, you need to move quickly. Go to www.pattonmcdowell.com forward slash mastermind. Go to the mastermind page on our website to find out more and to apply. Well, I know you're going to enjoy a fantastic conversation in this episode with Bert Armstrong, who brings great experience as the co-founder and principal of a consulting firm called Armstrong McGuire. And with his 30-year career in all aspects of nonprofit leadership, he's the perfect person to talk about a variety of the hot topics facing our sector and likely ones that you're facing right now. Well, as you can tell from the title of this episode, Bert and I jumped right in on the key issue of turnover, both the reality that it's facing our sector in general, the reality that many of our senior leaders are pondering retirement, and of course, we're just dealing with the fatigue and even burnout that many of our colleagues are feeling in our respective organizations. Well, Bert jumps right in on this topic and addresses questions like, what do we do to protect our teams, our organizations from this kind of turnover? And of course, if we do have turnover, which is inevitable, what do you do about it? How do you and your board best prepare to handle turnover when it does occur? And of course, we'd all like to find ways to uh, avoid turnover in the first place. And Bert's got feedback and advice on all of these variations of the turnover topic. Lots of reasons to check out the show notes for this episode. It's number 191. Just go to the podcast page at patmcdowell.com and you'll find all of the resources Bert and I discussed, as well as more information on the great work he's doing through Armstrong McGuire. Without further ado, please enjoy my conversation with Bert Armstrong. Bert, thank you for joining me on the path. Hey, good morning, Pat. It's great to be with you. Thanks for the invitation. Looking forward to our conversation today. Well, likewise, Bert. We've had some great conversations leading up to this session and a hot topic, I know, for you and I in our conversations, but frankly, amongst many of our peers in the sector, is turnover. And I thought there's no one better to talk about this, given your experience, both personally in the philanthropic sector, but the work you're doing through Armstrong McGuire. You have a great lens through which to look at these issues and challenges. And maybe I can start with that exact question of all the issues facing our sector and maybe specific to turnover. Is there one thing that you think is particularly contributing to this challenge? Yeah, I think so, Patton. And uh, I won't I will start with just a simple uh, factor that's burnout. Um, but maybe we come back to that a little bit later because right. really more to the point, it's um, there are growing expectations and growing demands on the time, but also on the emotional energy uh, for nonprofit leaders. They're getting pulled in so many different directions. Um, and yet they oftentimes tell us that they feel like they're on an island. By themselves, right? They lack sometimes these organizations or leaders lack uh, support from their board. Uh, they lack appreciation and camaraderie with their staff. It's just because of the, di the dynamics of leadership. Uh, they can get so absorbed sometimes in running the organization and the day to day minutiae of that that uh, many of them feel more and more disconnected from the, the very missions that they've been so passionate about and that brought them there to begin with. 
Um, and I think, it, you know, again, I don't want to go too far down this path, but there's some internal and external factors, I think, that really are leading to that, right? I think the externals, we all know. It's things around the economy and the uncertainty around the economy. It's the civic unrest that we've had in our country for a long time that has left people in a very different uh, mental health state, emotional state. It's the pandemic, the lingering effects from that, that uh, we, we don't fully know how that is going to impact us yet, but we know it is having real impact on our organizations and, and the work that we're doing. And, you know, a growing distrust in institutions in general. And you yeah, package yeah. those external factors up. And, and that really creates, uh, I think, a lot of uh, anxiety, a lot of struggle for nonprofit leaders. And, and some of them have just said, you know, this is, this is not what I can continue to do. And, uh, you take the internal factors of balance, right? Trying to balance all the expectations around impact, measurable and meaningful impact that the funders and the community and our stakeholders are, are, are demanding and wanting. Um, and you balance that with wanting to build a healthy and inclusive, uh, desirable culture and work environment, workplace for your employees, and making sure that you have to put attention to both. It's not an either or, it has to be a both and. And I think those things are just, there. it's a lot to put on a leader. Yes. And if they don't have the supports they need, I think it really creates a lot of challenge. You unpack that beautifully, Bert, as I knew you would, and because it's not a simple answer, is it, in terms of, well, right. we got turnover, and right. I, I like how you led off with something I've sensed as well, that it's a lonely world to be in nonprofit leadership, uh, especially, you know, exacerbated by a pandemic, but as you said, sometimes your board is either micromanaging you or they're disengaged, <laughs> and either way, that's not good, and, well, and it's... Right. Exactly. A combination of the two. And then you've got, you know, you can't necessarily bring all these challenges and issues to your staff who they themselves are dealing with issues. So um, you are left there in the middle as a nonprofit leader in a lonely world. And no wonder, um, you know, burnout can be a result. But you'll unpack that more, I know. But let's talk about you for a minute, Bert. You have done wonderful work in the sector. But I'd love for you to share with your listeners what led you to the work you're doing now. And then we'll, of course, talk about the work you're doing now. Sure, sure. Uh, well, I have to, uh, in being sort of honest moment, it was accidental, uh, but um, fortuitous. Uh, it gives me a chance to brag about my alma mater, Wake Forest University. Uh, graduated there, um, not as the top student in the class by any means, um, but <laughs> learned a whole lot while I was at Wake Forest. And uh, when I got out, I had this inkling that maybe I'd go to law school one day. And I realized that the grades that I walked away from my undergraduate with weren't going to get me into a law school right away. <laughs> right. So it was uh, time to take uh, another step. And so I got into a sales uh, career that I just did not enjoy. Um, I liked the people part of sales. I didn't like uh, the focus on selling a widget. Yeah. Um, yeah. You know, and so uh, I took an opportunity, came to me to work on a political campaign for a gentleman who was running for governor here in our state. And um, I was a political science major at Wake Forest, so I wanted to see if the reality of that space, of that political space, matched up with my academic experience and matched up with my idealistic optimism about right. politics. And it did not. Um, I, my uh, my candidate, they lost. And uh, the day after he lost, I realized they didn't have a job. So I was just working at the General Assembly for a little while when uh, the president of a small college who I'd known through the years came up to me at a luncheon. And uh, he asked me if I'd be interested in joining his development team. And 
as a young man looking to for a steady job, I just told Dr. Norris that I'm your man. Count me in. <laughs> Even I if you weren't no sure exactly. Yeah, yeah, right. <laughs> I had no idea development fundraising, but um, right, right. Lo and lo and behold, uh, I went up to this small college and I found my uh, found my why. Right, I found my passion. I found that place where my vocational skills, my relationship building, the people skills that I developed, uh, I really met with my with my advocation, my passions for serving the community. And in particular, being able to serve young people was something that at that time was really uh, deep and important to me. So that's what got me into it um, and been sort of at it now for 30 some odd years, about 33 years, I think. So fantastic. Uh, in a great place. Well, again, you experience fundraising and development on the front line. You continued to ascend in the sector, and then you decided to get into consulting. Talk about that. What what led to that pursuit and some of the work you've been doing of late? Yeah, so yeah, I, had, I worked for about 15 years as a nonprofit fundraiser and administrator, and my last eight were at a place called the Methodist Home for Children, which I would probably still be there today if I didn't have this unique itch to want to go out and start a business because right. it was an organization that I loved. It was work that I really uh, found fulfilling and a team of people that I really enjoyed being with. Um, but we finished up a major capital campaign and we had done a full rebrand of the organization. We had expanded the services within the organization. I was part of the senior leadership team there and just had this inkling I want to do something different. But uh, being the uh, nervous Nelly that I can be sometimes. It wasn't something that I was ready to go do on my own, but I was really just fortunate to have a good friend and colleague, a gentleman named Tom McGuire, who for 15 years had been the president of the A.J. Fletcher Foundation in Raleigh. And Tom and I were together one day and we were talking and, and he said, Bert, I'm, I'm thinking about leaving the foundation and starting a consulting firm and I want to talk to you about maybe you joining with me. And Nice. You know, so Three months later, Armstrong McGuire gets launched, not as Armstrong McGuire, but as uh, something that was a little more of a mouthful called the Philanthropic Advisory Group. Okay. And um, we had a good marketing person that uh, encouraged us to change the name a few years later, which was right. a good thing to do. But um, what we do today is really it's uh, we have three core uh, areas of service, leadership development, organizational development and planning, and then resource development work. And in each of those buckets, if you will, we have a continuum of services. Our leadership bucket is really centered around our executive recruitment work that we do. We do a lot of work for uh, chief executive searches and senior management searches exclusively for nonprofits and philanthropic organizations. Uh, similarly, we do a lot of work in the strategic planning space and we do a lot of work in the uh, fundraising space with annual and capital campaigns. So, um, and then in January, we're excited uh, to announce that we're gonna be completing a merger with a group uh, out of Charlotte, your hometown, Patton, uh, with a group called Leverage Resources. Um, Kathy Ridge, who has built a firm there that focuses on interim management for nonprofit organizations, uh, is uh, gonna become a new colleague of ours and run that uh, division of our work. But we're excited about what it brings to us in terms of um, extending the continuum that we have in terms of helping organizations with executive transitions. From the time they, uh, the time that happens to the time that they complete it and they get new leaders on board, and we're looking forward to that. Uh, we primarily serve North Carolina, or have historically served North Carolina. Over the last four or five years, we've really expanded into the southeastern region of the United States, and we're doing a little bit of work across the country. So it's exciting. But 
biggest part for me is I'm blessed, Patton, to work with a, just an amazing team of professionals. They are people who they make me look a lot better than I deserve <laughs> every day. And um, they do it by showing up well in support of our clients. They do it by uh, sharing a set of core values that I think we are really uh, committed to as an organization. We talk about, we focus on, but integrity and experience, uh, showing up with joy and, and optimism with our clients, but also showing up with care and candor and making sure that we produce good results. So uh, that's about all folks want to hear about us, but um, uh, we're constant learners, constantly trying to, to build new relationships with folks like yourself and others who are also in this space, and, and we love sharing and collaborating with other people. Well, indeed, you've done it very well. And I'm, of course, impressed with the work you've done and the lens through which you've seen our sector is why you're a perfect guest for this episode. And I'm excited for you and Kathy, who, in fact, has been on this podcast. And I, I think there's such a unique niche that you and Kathy are going to build together in terms of transition, interim right. leadership at nonprofit, and then your efforts in terms of search. Uh, it's a fascinating, I think, uh, trajectory for the firm, but it also leads to the topics that I think affect nonprofit leaders everywhere, right? What you and I will talk about here in a minute, you know, what are the issues affecting burnout and challenges of leadership, but then what do you do when a transition occurs? Um, But, but I got to go back to one question on your journey and wonder if you could speak to political fundraising. I know you and I both had conversation with folks. How would you describe the similarities and differences in terms of the kind of charitable fundraising you've done since then, but are there positive lessons you learned from political fundraising or is it a different animal entirely? No, that's a great question. And it is a different animal in a lot of ways, but there are a lot, there are some similarities. Um, You know, it is uh, being comfortable having conversations with folks about their committing to something that is important to them. Uh, But I would say the, I think the, one of the biggest differences for me is the pace and the attention that we can give in our nonprofit resource development work to building really authentic relationships with people uh, who want to invest in the missions and the work that 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 we're we're doing all across the state, all across the country. Uh, these are donors who uh, come to this work caring about that mission. They they there's a reason why they want to support that. And we want to we want time to unpack that and to really get a chance to understand uh, what it is that that uh, inspires their giving and their philanthropy and how can we uh, do things that will amplify uh, their joy in that giving process. You know, in the political work, not that it's not important giving, but um, the pace of it is uh, we have to hurry up. We have to raise a whole lot of money in a short yeah. period of time. And the race to Election Day, isn't it? Wherever exactly. Election Day is. Exactly, exactly. Um, but I mean, the, the lessons learned, uh, the relationships that in the political uh, arena that you get to meet uh, do become valuable to you down the road if you stay in this nonprofit world as well, because they are leaders in our communities. And that's what we are you know, striving to do is connect with philanthropic leaders, with uh, leaders who, who have real expertise in, in particular causes and in areas of interest. And and uh, they're showing up in both places. Yeah. Well, thank you uh, for tying that together because there may be folks listening who have had experience like you did early on in the political fundraising game and perhaps have pondered nonprofit leadership or nonprofit fundraising. And so that helps illuminate, you know, the world that they may be exploring right now. Uh, right. Let's jump back to the the leadership Good. angle. And you talked about 
But and, and I want to start with the the senior generation. Uh, I've seen statistics, as I know you have, about the most senior leaders in our sector. Uh, I think pre-pandemic, there was an expectation there could be a huge uh, departure from leadership with retirement and all that. But what are you seeing amongst that senior generation? And I guess what issues do you think might come about a potential large-scale transition? Yeah, no, I think it is happening. Um, it's interesting. When we started this executive transition uh, work now 18 years ago, um, it all came about through some national research that was being done that was looking at the nonprofit sector and looking at longtime executive directors and founders of nonprofits. And I don't remember the numbers, but it was an overwhelming percentage of folks that were planning on retiring or leaving the profession in the next three to five years. And so there was some great thought leaders across the country that really began to think about how do we prepare organizations for that? And uh, I think over the last 18 years, there have been uh, other uh, seasons when that has happened again. I do think it is happening again now. And we're seeing a lot of long tenured leaders, founders who are just, you know, either they've come to the end of their careers and they're ready to step away and, and enjoy some retirement or uh, in, in many cases and maybe in too many cases, they're just stepping away from the work. It's, it's just not become as fulfilling uh, in the ways that they that maybe it did for the last 10 or 15 years. For all the reasons you said in the beginning of this discussion, right? All those things right. you described are, right. are wearing them down. It, it uh, is. Yeah. And, you know, it's going to wear anybody down. Right. And um, which goes back to what I talked about, about preparing the organization for transitions. Right. I think oftentimes when we think about leaders and, and hiring new executive directors and chief executives and nonprofits, uh, we jump quickly to grabbing a job description and wanting to go find somebody. We don't step back and ask the important questions about our organization. Are we ready for a change, right? Whenever it comes, if it's an emergency and unexpected, or if we make the decision, or if a leader makes a decision, are we ready for that time? And when I say we, it's is the board ready right. to take on that right. work? Is the staff ready uh, to continue the work? And then also to be able to welcome in new people. Um, you know, th those are things that I think are really, really important. And, and as board members, unfortunately, I don't think we give enough attention to um, it. Just we when the time comes, we throw the search committee together. And uh, part of our work is to help a committee like that step back and make sure that we understand what the new opportunity is for the next leader, because it will be different. It's not going to be a clone of the person they had before. The needs aren't going to be the same going forward as they are right now. And uh, we don't talk about that enough. So true. And I'm I'm intentionally being provocative here and maybe overdramatic, but I bet most listeners right now, their organizations do not have any kind of succession plan. Yeah. And it, you're alluding to that. I, well, let me ask you the question. Uh, do you agree that most organizations, you know, don't have that kind of infrastructure in place or and what can they do to prepare for this yeah. kind of transition that is going to happen? Yeah, you're, you're spot on. First of all, I, I don't think the majority of our nonprofit organizations give enough attention to this before it becomes an issue to give attention to. Right. I mean, succession planning, when it's done at its best, is done uh, well before a, a leader is talking about retirement or transitioning. It's done when the need's not there. So you can really focus on objectively focus on what's going on within the organization. Um you know, I think it's really important that as boards give thought to this, 
that the first question they ask is, are they ready for the work? Uh, are they ready for, to commit the time? Are they ready to give the kind of energy and resource it's going to take to do an effective transition? Um, and if they ask those questions early on and, and the answer is, no, we're not ready, then they've got time to be prepared. Yeah. And that's so critical because when a leader announces their departure, all of a sudden the staff begins to look to the board, right? You Indeed. got us. You have to lead us until we get a new a new person here. And if the board's not ready, then let's get the right people in there. Let's equip them. Let's make sure they understand what those roles are going to be and, and let them move on. We, uh, if I could just throw out a quick example, and I won't Please. call out client organization, but we had a long-term client that we worked with uh, many years ago who reached out. The, the executive director had been there about 20 years, and she called one day, and we'd done some strategic planning with them in the past. We'd done some resource development work with them, but she said, I'm going to be retiring probably in five to seven years, and I want to make sure that our organization is ready for that transition because so much of its reputation, so much of its work was built around this particular executive director's uh, strength of her uh, uh, will and, and her own talents and, and the way she connected with the community. And so we did. We pulled a, a board and staff committee together and worked with them for, we actually worked with them for about four to six months to be really intentional about both, what do we do if 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 this particular leader decides that, you know, I won't say she got hit by a bus, right? That's you know, <laughs> don't use that term. Right. Won the, the lottery and, and left, maybe, right? Just to Hawaii and never comes back, whatever that right, is. Right, right. Um, you know, what do we do? And so you got to have that emergency plan, right? Just who's, you know, how do we keep the lights on? Who's going to pay the bills? Who's got the right. key to the building? I mean, just some really basic things. Who's going to be in contact with our donors and with our contractors? All those kind of questions. But then the broader question about succession is, um, what will we need beyond this particular leader? And so we spent, you know, a lot of time uh, really digging into that, looking at the type of profile that a new leader was going to have. And out of that came some great work, both about describing the leader that we would want next, but also preparing others within the organization, other staff, you know, building their own professional development, because perhaps somebody might emerge from within the organization. And lo and behold, we finished the plan. And it's a longer story than your readers or your listeners want to hear. Pat, right, right. We, we finished the plan and she had told me five to seven years, about 14 months after we finished the plan, I got a call from their board chair and said, uh, our executive director is going to be retiring. Wow. She decided, Now's the time. Yep. And the first thing he said was how grateful he was for the process they went through. Not just the plan they have, but the process they went through because it readied the board and it got staff really thinking about what life would be like after this longtime leader. So you cannot, I don't think you can um, stress enough the importance of good planning and preparation for a transition, particularly of a leader that is, you know, so well respected, so been so, so thought of and has been such a part of the fabric of an organization. I love that. And again, the tactical detail you offer there. Breaking down a succession plan, one is the the immediate, if there were indeed an emergency, if you will, who would pay the bills, who would talk right. to the media. Um, and so organizations need to at least have that checklist. And then hopefully, I, I guess, Bert, do you see that they identify, is it the executive committee of the board or some subset ha is identified? So when that time comes, they immediately go into action? Yeah, it can be a, a subset. It could be the executive committee. Uh, we've seen uh, organizations just appoint an ad hoc committee, right? Right, right. Uh, 
point in time, this is what we need to do over the next you know few months and come back and report this to the board and let the board then digest it and begin to and then adopt it. So um, but make sure that leadership within the board um, are in tune with that, are embracing that and are engaged in the whatever assessment and, and planning work that takes place. Yeah, well, again, I'm hoping our listeners are making note of one, do you have one, uh, right. meaning a succession plan? And then that leads to positive discussion. Unfortunately, we're not seeing that discussion. And we're back to the topic you led off with, Bert, burnout. And and yeah. the that yeah. type of turnover is the one that unfortunately happens, I think, without the kind of thoughtful process you just described. But, you know, is it, what can we do about the burnout issues you're seeing and we're seeing? Are, are there Have you seen organizations address this in a positive way? We have. And. Uh, I think there, there are lots of different strategies that organizations can undertake. And maybe the key to it is that, that board leaders, as I said earlier, need to talk about it, right? Don't ignore it. Um, and when they talk about it, uh, think about meaningful ways to support their executive director, the chief executive, and, and meaningful ways that are important to them, to the, to the leaders. And and subsequently, executive directors should be looking for meaningful ways to support their senior team, their management team. Right, right. And then and let this trickle all the way through the organization. Right. What are we doing to both make sure that our 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 team is healthy, right? That our leaders and our 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 uh, direct line staff, right, are feeling supported. They're encouraged. Uh, they they find they believe they're valued in the work they do, and they're supported when things get tough. Uh, but find things that are important and supportive to them. And we've seen a lot of uh, growth in the area of executive coaching right, and team coaching, right? Not just uh, bringing an executive coach in to work with an executive director, but sometimes to work with a management team uh, to do some work around how do we work together to, to understand each other's uh, unique skills and talents and, and areas where they bring the most value to the organization. We've also seen, particularly for chief executives, uh, the idea of using peer groups uh, in whatever community you live in. Right. There are other nonprofit leaders who are struggling with the same challenges that you are, who have the same questions that you have. Some are new to the space and they're looking for somebody to give them some guidance and they don't have the resources to go to the conference in Vegas or whatever that might be. But they've got eight or ten other nonprofit leaders in a community that might be able to sit around over a cup of coffee once a week or once every couple of weeks and just talk about what's going on within their organizations and really uh, use that time to share ideas, uh, to share uh, experiences, things that worked well, things that haven't worked well. I think we don't encourage that enough within our leadership. And and that oftentimes goes back to that lonely feeling that that, uh, nonprofit executives can have. And the other thing that we've seen, and I'm, I'm thrilled with this, is uh, more organizations are offering sabbaticals to their leaders. I was going to ask you about that. Yeah, good. Yeah, when you get into when you get into seasons that are incredibly busy or incredibly stressful, uh, we need to understand the toll that can take on any individual, but particularly someone who is charged and has a responsibility for the health of your organization. And we need to make sure that we're being responsive to to their health and well-being, too. And sometimes that means taking some time away. Um, When I was still working for the Methodist Home for Children, 
we instituted the first sabbatical program that I'd ever seen. It wasn't my idea, but it came from several folks who had worked at the Methodist home for years before and then had come back into leadership positions. And a running joke with all my friends there still that they set up a sabbatical so that um, if you had worked there previously, uh, all that time, previous time served would count towards the time before you could get your sabbatical. <laughs> right. So several of the folks that worked for, you know, seven, eight, nine, 10 years. And so when we set that seven year, I think it was seven year at the time, opportunity to take a sabbatical, all of them qualified. I'd been there for five years and I never qualified before I left. So it was, uh, it was sort of a frustration. Work out, right? Yeah, but, but, but a really healthy thing for every one of those folks, right? They worked hard. Uh, some of the work, particularly working with kids and families in, in difficult situations, they needed that time away. And, yes. and I think that's important that boards and, and management teams recognize that. Well, and as part of the overall package, if you will, of compensation right. benefits, I, like you, am delighted to see uh, an increase in that sabbatical. And so you say it was maybe seven years or that was kind of the I, I, threshold, I, maybe? I, I, I must have been eight because I was there for eight years. OK, so, uh, <laughs> you, I think it was must have been right. Right before I left, I could have qualified. And um, but that's OK. You know, it's, it's, it's I went you're on, glad I they're still doing it. Right. Even if right. it didn't yeah. benefit you as much. But exactly. I, I'm also glad you you lift up kind of the peer support network. And I'm biased here, but we've had yeah. success recently with a leadership program called the Mastermind. And yeah. it is so true that we we put, you know, seven or eight talented leaders together and and the support is incredible. And it's what you said at the very outset. Again, that's a lonely world. Many of them face where they just can't have a safe place to really unpack the issues they're dealing with. So more of that peer dynamic. I'm glad, again, listeners can take away the succession plan as a concept. But let me ask you about two others that I think affect maybe the burnout. Um, well, compensation. Yes. And and hybrid workplaces. I'm, I'm increasingly hearing about that. I'm sure you are as you recruit. Um, any trends or issues in, in both providing better compensation and or flexible workspace? What are you seeing? Yes, uh, I appreciate you bringing both of those up. And, uh, and first of all, back to to your the groups that you're doing, the cohorts that you're working with. I have heard from folks that have participated in that. And so kudos to you, because um, folks are very pleased with uh, what you're helping them to do in terms of their own uh, professional growth. Um, but the issue around compensation, uh, to me, I, it's a refreshing thing to see. I don't know that it came about in the way we all may have expected it, but forever, nonprofits have, have forgive my sort of crassness, have been cheap, right? We have chosen You're right. uh, to invest in our people um, and believe that our people are worthy of the same type of compensation as their counterparts in the for-profit sector. And I get that we are different. And I get that people come into this sector oftentimes for very different reasons. They come because they're passionate about a cause. Uh, they shouldn't be punished for that. And what I have enjoyed seeing over the last five to eight years is a, a steady, gradual commitment to increasing compensation for for not only chief executives, but across the board. Um, and I don't think the what's what what has happened with the pandemic and uh, sort of coming out of that, the great resignation where candidates have become much more uh, on par in terms of their ability to negotiate with organizations. Uh, we've seen folks asking for more and expecting higher levels of compensation. I don't think for the most part, not unreasonable. 
Right. But it, it has certainly changed the dynamic for a lot of nonprofit boards and uh, uh, CFOs and others who are um, now trying to figure out how do we attract the very best and the brightest when we know the very best and the brightest are asking for 20 percent more than what they were a year ago. Um, you know, how do we account for that? And so but I think it is happening. I think it's a healthy thing for the sector. And um, so we'll see how that goes. The, 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 the issue of hybrid and virtual work, I think, is still playing out. Yeah. But uh, I do think that uh, I know that or, that a lot of candidates are expectant of that. Um, some Agreed. want to just work virtually in some organizations. That's not possible. And when when those two things don't match up, there's nothing you can really do about that. If a candidate doesn't want to come into the office and you've got people that they need to see every day, it's not going to work. But the hybrid idea, I think, is getting some real traction. Um, and the more we understand it and the more we understand how to continue to hold our, our teams accountable for their work, but also recognize that they are working when they're at home. And uh, just because they're in their pajamas or just because, you know, they might have <laughs> the kids, you know, in another room doesn't mean they're not uh, able to be just as productive or sometimes more productive. So I think that boards, uh, management teams need to be more open to that and, and maybe talk to their teams a little bit. I think talking to your staff about why they want that that type of environment or if they're interested in that type of environment, I think we'll tell them a lot. It's a great point. And again, you're right. We can't generalize it, but at least I think organizations have got to be flexible in their thinking because I've had candidates and I know you have too that I know are uh, talented, but they're like, yeah, I'm not going to even consider an opportunity if it doesn't allow some degree of flexibility. Right. Whereas pre-pandemic, you know, maybe we just assumed we had to fit you know, the mold of whatever the organization job description described. Absolutely. Um, and I'll say one other thing, Pat. Sure. But um I think there needs to be within organizations this authentic commitment to diversity and equity and inclusion. Indeed. It has certainly become, uh, it permeates our, our the fabric of everything in the nonprofit sector today, and I think in some really, really positive ways. But we have to come at that uh, from a commitment of investing time and resources and energy into building the kind of inclusive, diverse work environment that our workforce of today wants to come to. Right. They want to work with, uh, you know, in a place where they feel like um, they're not uh, they're, they're not there's not tokenism there. Uh, they're not being um, uh, they're not you know, they don't feel like they don't have you know folks that they can relate to and that can share their stories and concerns with. So I think we have to be attentive to that as well. So well put. And, you know, the other advantage, I think, of this kind of flexible mindset I have seen of late is, is many rural communities, smaller communities and the nonprofits there really struggle with talent and, yes. uh, you know, identifying and attracting talent, but flexibility might allow someone in, you know, three counties over to actually right. be a, a meaningful member of your team. If you're willing to offer that kind of flexibility, they don't have to move to your town, but perhaps could give that otherwise uh, talent starved organization, Absolutely. you know, a new opportunity. Absolutely. Um, well, speaking of talent, something that I know is exciting for me and you both, I read somewhere that there are now 300 plus undergraduate and graduate programs in nonprofit leadership across the United States in our universities and colleges. So 
that to me, you know, we've talked about the senior generation and their transition perhaps, but maybe the good news is there's a younger generation coming in excited to be involved. Unlike you and I, who maybe kind of stumbled into nonprofit work, if I can speak for you too, right? Uh, This generation is like, I'm going to get a degree in nonprofit leadership, but what do you think about that? And what what can organizations do to better attract and, and retain that new generation of talent? Yeah, I think that's a great question. I think when I think back over my now 30 plus year career, um, I am in this nonprofit space and I've stayed in this nonprofit space uh, because a few incredible people in my life uh, were willing to give me a chance and take a chance on me. Right? I mentioned my first development job was a, a small college and uh, I didn't have any fundraising experience. I had political fundraising experience. We talked about that, but you're right. We didn't go to school for this work. But he took a chance. He saw something in me and he said, I think that this would be work that you'll find rewarding. And I think you could be a real value to our to our institution. You know, fast forward several years and a CEO of the Methodist Home for Children hired a 29 year old as his vice president for development. Took a chance. I had, I had some good experience, but I'm not sure, you know, if you looked at pedigree that that's that was going to put me into that kind of a position. Right. And then, you know, eight years later, my my business partner, who was. A generation older than me and uh, just first in this work and passionate about philanthropy and known for that work. He took a chance on a younger person to be his partner in business. I think we have to, as nonprofit leaders today, we have to be willing to look at our candidates differently. Right. This younger generation, these people that are going and they're getting these degrees in uh, nonprofit management and other degrees that are really helpful. um, We have to get rid of our blinders to say that, well, if they haven't sort of come up through the ranks in our nonprofit, then we're not going to take a chance on them. I think they Such have to look point. at skills, look at gifts that people have and, and figure out, are these the right folks? Can they can they do the work? And if we decide to bring them in, we also need to be able to support their professional development. Don't hire them and just say, we're taking a chance on you. We're also going to invest in you. And I think that's important. It's fantastic. Um, and well, and, and sorry to interrupt you, but just real quick, because I think about so many job descriptions, right, Bert, that, that you know, if you automatically have, well, you have to have five to eight years experience right. and like, are are you missing out someone who may well work very well, but you've kind of created a barrier that doesn't even get them into the starting line. Right. And I mean, we even have these discussions in our, in our team when we're, we're conducting searches. It's easy for us to fall back into our, our old mindsets because, those are folks that we can understand. We can understand the work that they've done. But there are some people with some real talents coming from the business sector, not just young people, people coming from the business sector who, you know, I'll sit and have a cup of coffee with. And if if what I can discern from them is they really are, they can, they're, they're really interested in the work, that they under, they've, they've done something to try to understand what this nonprofit space is and how it might be different than the work that they've done before. If they've, if they've taken that initiative. Right. Then, we should be more open to taking the the chance and, and putting them into a candidate pool and letting them sell themselves, you know, up against other candidates. I'm so glad you raised that. And I just think that's the more enlightened nonprofit leader perspective. But right. sure, you're going to look for talent within the current nonprofit sector that, in which you work. But what you just described, Bert, the, the I guess for lack of a better term, a lateral entry, right? For profit to nonprofit, what uh, transferable skills indeed exist and then the other one we just talked about, the emerging leader, you know, right. that that new generation, which, by the way, if I can do a shameless plug for internships, 
Not that I have anything to gain, but I hope (laughs) someone listening, because I have been the beneficiary uh, of wonderful interns. For me, it's at UNC Charlotte and NC State. But uh, I guess, Bert, that might be one example of what nonprofit leaders could do to kind of invest in this next generation. Absolutely. And and that's sort of a good com- a good blending, right? It's their internships are, are low cost investments for the organization, but they're able to see folks who don't come with the pedigree, who don't come with the years of experience, but they've demonstrated this is the kind of work I want to do. And if they're willing to come in and be a and be a learner, then I think a lot of organizations are going to benefit by by bringing them in, showing them how this work is done and learning from them. I mean, I, my, I have two 20-something-year-olds right, right now, and I learn more from them uh, you know, about technology, about social media, about things that that I'm just not as equipped at. And we could all pay attention to that and realize that there's some real benefits to our nonprofits. Love that. And and you're right, because I think often we think about mentors and coaches necessarily being senior to us Perhaps we should be looking for mentors junior to us <laughs> because they, in fact, have skills that we don't. And so I, I love the fact that you're, of course, encouraging someone to think about strategic networking as well as how they kind of build their team in diverse ways. Right. Um, let me go to one more topic before we sure. close, because, again, something you and Kathy know very well in, in terms of this overall managing transition why should an organization consider interim leadership? Or you know, you, I think you're right. The the, the ED leaves, the CEO leaves. Uh oh, let's just immediately post search and hire. Right. But what you and Kathy are suggesting is that maybe interim leadership's the answer. But why would you make that kind of argument for an organization? Yeah, yeah. Uh, thanks for that question. Uh, I, I think in large part, and it, it could be whether it's a, a long time leader or whether it's a, a transition that is taking place that maybe is, wasn't as um, uh, planned and uh, feel good as we wanted it to be. There are a lot of reasons why leaders leave. And when that happens, there is a direct impact on the organization as a whole, it's a direct impact on the staff, right? Uh, if it's a beloved leader, uh, this is a person that probably hired or m- mentored a lot of these folks. Um, if it is a, a leader that uh, maybe wasn't as dynamic or not as supportive, um, the way they have shown up uh, to their staff has had an impact, positive or negative, on them. And and oftentimes staff need some time to to, to step back, um, heal from that, or celebrate that transition. Right? If it's a leader that they've they've really been fond of, giving them the time to uh, to say thank you. And, and be supportive of that leader as they move away. But in the meantime, the work continues and the work has to continue. The mission moves forward. And that's not easy to do without good leadership at the helm. And so let's make sure we get someone in there who can uh, continue to make sure that day to day, everything is moving forward. Uh, interim leader is not coming in to create a new vision for the organization and right. try to move it somewhere else. It's to sort of steady the ship or maintain a course and give the board now time to really be thoughtful about what they need next. And uh, that takes some assessment. That takes looking in the mirror. That's, you know, sort of looking at where we are doing well. What are we strong? What are we good at as an organization? Where are we challenged? And can new leadership help us move beyond that? What's in front of us? What's around the corner? What are the opportunities that we see? And how are we going to best address those? 
So giving the board the time to think about that, to, to consider what the leadership opportunity is they're looking for, um, and you know, and and then to move into a thoughtful search process is a lot easier to do when you have some when you know that the work going on day to day is well cared for. Um, you know, we we have certified interim managers, folks that you know we put them sort of through the paces so they understand what they're responsible for. Um, other organizations will may have someone internal or may have someone a former leader, a former board member. And, and there's nothing wrong with considering those as well, but I think whoever you put in that interim position, you need to make sure that they understand their role and that they're they're equipped and ready and gonna commit the time to get that work done. That's so well put. And, and you brought it back full circle very beautifully in that I think sometimes turnover is impacted, right? If we're racing to rehire yes. and we're not doing the due diligence you just described, is it any wonder that we have multiple turnovers, right? Because maybe we didn't step back and do what you just described. Right. We we say all the time, you know, good beginnings for new leaders and, and their team that they are now inheriting or adopting uh, start with good endings or at least the best possible endings that we can create with the transition. Yes, right? indeed. A loved leader, give them the time to celebrate and, and, to, and to lift them up. And, um, and if it's a, a challenging transition, give folks time to heal. Wonderfully put, Bert, as you have done throughout this conversation, and I'm grateful for that. All the takeaways, as I know our listeners are, are, are there anything else that you might add to this conversation? Any final advice you might offer to someone listening, particularly as it relates to managing transition in our sector? Yeah, well, first, for, for the folks that are considering getting into the space or have been in the space and are considering whether they should stay, uh, the sector needs you. Yes. The nonprofit sector is an exciting space. Philanthropy is exciting work. Uh, the work we do really matters to our local communities, to our state, to our country. And uh, we need really good leaders who are willing to step into the work with intentionality and with a commitment uh, to the mission and what's going on. And I'm going to get in trouble with the United States Army, but it is not just a job. <laughs> it is an adventure. Right. Yes. And, uh, so come to it with passion. Come to it with understanding your why and why it is that you want to be a leader in this particular space and look for organizations that are addressing the things that are addressing the things that you care about. And above all means, Pat, and you and I can share this one. Don't fear fundraising. Good. Right. If you're a yes. leader, you're going to be involved in the fundraising efforts of your organization. Don't fear it. Uh, embrace it. It is it is amazing work. It is powerful work and you will build relationships that will last you forever. And as you just said, if you're passionate about it, fundraising will follow, right? Exactly. It's not, uh, it won't be as uncomfortable as perhaps some might think from the outside. So delighted you lifted that up uh, and that encouragement and advice. So Bert, again, thank you. And of course, you knew this final request was coming, but can I ask for a parting gift? And that is a book that has been meaningful to you that you'd recommend to our listeners. Sure. And a little bit of selfishness here. We, as a firm, we rebranded <laughs> about a year, a little year and a half ago. Right. And uh, the marketing firm that we worked with uh, walked in one day and said, we want to tell you who your corporate persona is that you're identifying with. Interesting. And they said it was uh, Brene Brown. Wow. And at the time, my team looked up and like, I'm seeing all these heads nod. And they're like, oh, I've read her books. I've read this. I've done that. Um, I had not read Brene Brown's uh, books and didn't know a lot about her. Uh, shamefully, but uh, Dare to Lead. Yes, is, yes, is yes. 
terrific book, um, talks about the uh, it's okay to be vulnerable. Um, it's okay to have difficult, it's, it's necessary to have difficult and important conversations and discussions. Um, and it's important to operate from shared sets of values. I think those are the things that I really took away from that. And um, on the flip side, I've got uh, two of my team members that are currently reading a book called, um, uh, what is it called? Atomic Habits. Oh, James, yes. James Clear. And I think I am the next one up to to read that. They did it as a part of kind of a book club, but I think I've got to get into it because it talks about building good habits, breaking bad habits. Goodness knows I've got plenty of bad ones that I need to break. But uh, doing it with tiny, tiny changes, right? Behavior, small behavioral changes. Indeed. So, uh, I'm impressed. That is, in fact, one that I have needed to read and have. <laughs> and uh, so I commend it to you as a good one. And uh, thank you for lifting up. Brene Brown's work, of course, as well as James Clear and everything you've shared with our listeners today, Bert. I'm grateful. Uh, where can people go to find out more about you and the great work you're doing? Oh, thank you. Uh, we have a website. It's uh, armstrongmaguire.com. And Maguire is M-C-G-U-I-R-E. We get more people that put a Q in there and can't find us. But, um, <laughs> right, but we're also, right. uh, you can find us on LinkedIn. We're on Twitter. We're on Facebook. We haven't been kicked off Twitter yet, so uh, I think we're we're keeping our, our head low on that. Um, you can also go to website and sign up for we have weekly blogs and new letter, newsletters and uh, e-blasts on our job announcements, the positions that we're doing recruiting for. So, But all that being said, give me a call. Shoot me an email. Uh, I'm always up for a good visit, for a good discussion, and not about client work, but about just good discussion about nonprofits and, and why it's so important and why I love it so much. And first coffee is always on me. So please uh, love to hear from you. You're a good friend of the sector, Bert. Thank you for what you're doing and what you're continuing to do. We will make it easy if they don't want to have to, if they're driving and can't write any of this down, just go to Bert's episodes, show notes. We will certainly link up you and your LinkedIn and, of course, Armstrong McGuire's website and all the great resources there. So for all of this, Bert, thanks again for joining me on the path. Thank you. Thank you for what you're doing, Pat. Really appreciate everything. Well, I hope you enjoyed this conversation with Bert as much as I did and came away with some practical ideas that can guide your professional journey and help your nonprofit organization be more effective as it retains the talent that it already has and successfully moves forward when a transition does occur. Well, don't forget the show notes. They are available on our website, patentmcdowell.com. You can find out more about Bert and all of the resources and services his firm, Armstrong McGuire, provides, especially around topics like transition, interim services, and even executive search. As always, please share this episode with someone else on the path. And if you haven't already, you can subscribe. You can go to the podcast page at patmcdowell.com, and you'll see the follow button, which will link you to all of the primary platforms that you can listen to this podcast. And of course, you won't miss out on any of them. They come out every Thursday. And if you liked this episode, click on the Episodes button at the top of that same page, and you can scroll through thumbnails of some of our most popular episodes or search by topic or guest name. Thanks for all you're doing in the nonprofit sector, especially right now, and keep up the good work for causes that are most meaningful to you. I'll keep bringing you content that will help you do it even better. Have a great week. I'll see you next time on The Path.